love for us in him. And Lord, we just pray today uh, we, that we could draw near, that we could believe that you do love us as much as you say that you love us, that you can do for us as much as you say that you can do. Lord, that we would believe you and that we would surrender ourselves to you, Lord, and we would cry out from our heart, Lord, that we would be changed by you from the inside out. Lord, we thank you for this day. We ask that you would speak to us, Lord, uh, that you would, we would hear from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be starting this morning. And we've been walking through the book of Romans. Um, we have been looking at, I mean, the first 11 chapters are primarily Paul's explanation of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And if you don't know this morning already, I want you to know that uh, God loves you. He loves this world. Uh, it's undeserved because all of us have rebelled against God and re- have rejected Him. And we have sinned against Him. And we have fallen short, the Bible says, of the glory of God. All of us. And that includes you. There's a broken relationship between you and God. And the result of that broken relationship is God's justice. And what that looks like is condemnation. It looks like separation from God. But I want to tell you this morning that God loves you. We've been looking at this in the last 11 chapters of the book of Romans, that God loves you so much. He loves you so much that he did the only thing that could be done to make right your relationship with God. I'm talking to you today. The only way that you can have a restored relationship with God is through God's salvation. And God has provided salvation in His Son, Jesus, for all who would believe. Jesus came and met all the requirements of the law. He was perfect. The perfection that you needed, Jesus provided. Jesus came and He gave His life on the cross. Why? He didn't deserve to die. He gave his life on the cross because of your sin and mine. If we are to be forgiven, Jesus had to die. So Jesus died in our place. Jesus went to the grave, and three days later, he rose again to conquer Satan, to conquer sin, to provide new life for all who would believe, we've learned. And when we trust Christ, when we give up all of our efforts, and we say, God, I need a relationship with you, and only God, you, only you can save me. And I believe that what you've done in your son Jesus can save me, God. I believe that you are a mighty Savior for those who call out to you in faith. When you do that, the Bible says that you are reunited with God. Isn't that awesome? And you experience the wonderful life that God intends for you in Christ. We've been looking at that these last 11 chapters. And then last week, we got to chapter 12. And I only made it through two little verses. (laughs) Yeah. Very Barrett. Um, only made it through two. two you can laugh. It's okay. Uh, through two verses last week. But here's their foundational verses. Because here's what I wanted you to get from last week. It's this, that in, in light of all the overwhelming generosity of God, in light of all that God has done for you in Christ, your life should look different now. You should, you should, your life is fundamentally changed because of what you know in Christ. Because of God's overwhelming love and generosity toward you, you are a different person now. And the instruction is, no longer is your life going to look like this, just going out in the world and being conformed and pressured to to do what everybody else is doing. It's easy to do that in in life. 
just to go out and conform to the world. Just parent your kids the way other people parent their kids. Just, just spend your money the way other people spend their money. Just have conversations the way other people have conversations. Just think and feel and do as the world around you thinks and feels and does. That's easy. The world's trying to conform you into that mold. But the scripture says don't go that way. But instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In light of his mercy, seek to be changed by God from the inside out. Because God, the wonderful thing about God is he can change our heart. He can change your feelings and your thoughts, your mind. So that the instincts that come out of you, 95% of your life is lived instinctively. The instincts that come out of you are radically new and different and God-centered and God-glorifying. Because you're seeking his transformation from the inside out. You can't separate your salvation from the way that you live your life. And Jesus made that clear. Does that make sense? So, what does this look like? Well, today, I'm telling you, you could sum up chapters 12, 13, and 14 with one word. And unfortunately for you, I'm not just going to tell you the word and sit down. (laughs) But you could sum it up with one word. And it's got four letters in it. Anybody want to guess what it is after you've seen the video and you maybe have read the scripture this week? Yeah. Love, love, love. L is for the way you... Uh, Never mind. Not that kind of love. Um, All you need is... See? This is great. (laughs) You're participating. That's not that kind of love either. Um, But it is love. That is the word. You could sum up uh, chapter 12, verse 3, all the way through, really, chapter 15, verse 7 with one word, love. The most fundamental transformation that should happen in your heart and in your life is love. And that's why the the message today is called Love, Fulfillment of the Law. In your guides, it's page 62. If you've got your guides and you're tracking along, this is where we're going to be in small groups also this week. So I encourage you all to take notes. If you've got a little phone, you know, you could just jot it in your notepad. Be a learner. Be want to to hear from God today. Want to live in the things that you learn. So I encourage you to participate just by engaging in our uh, text today, but love, 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 love. And really, there's a foundational, let me give you the core truth for today, and then I'll I'll tell you really the foundational verse in here. Uh, The core truth is this, and you can write it down. Uh, If I had to sum up this passage, it would be this. Because of the mercies of Christ, because of the mercies of Christ, that's from chapter 12, verse 1, in light of all of what God has done for you in Christ, Now, all of my relationships are to be governed by sincere and sacrificial love. Because of the mercy of Christ, if you know what God has done for you in Jesus, and you're saying today, I believe it, I I would be lost if it were not for what God has done for me, if it weren't for God's love for me and his generosity toward me. In fact, he gave everything when I had nothing. If it weren't for Christ, I would have nothing. If that's your heart today, then listen, it changes all of your relationships. Because of the mercies of Christ, all of my relationships now are to be governed by this principle, sincere and sacrificial love. That's the transformation, not conformity, but transformation that comes from the inside out. I get this from chapter uh, 13. If you look in your Bibles or it's on the screen, look at verse 9 at the end of it. 
It says, all of the commandments can be summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look at verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love, love, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, we're going to come back to this as we journey through chapter 13 together. But here's, here's the reality. He's saying, you want to know the kind of life looks transformed what is your life going to look like when it's transformed here's what it's going to look like it's going to look like a life of love love for god and love for others in fact you could sum up the transformation that god desires in your life all the laws you can sum up like this love (laughs) love god love people sound familiar to something jesus said matthew 22 and somebody went to him and said Hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? They were trying to pin him against the wall because there's so many commandments, right? How am I supposed to know? And how did he respond? Okay, look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor what you think. How did Jesus respond? If you know this story. Okay, what? Somebody, Ying! Welcome, Ying. I'm sorry, I just got excited. For those of you listening online, one of our beloved former members is sitting on the first row and I just saw her. What did, what, what did Jesus say in Matthew 22? <laughs> After all the years that you were here? Yes, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, right? And then love your neighbor as what? As yourself. In other words, you want to know my heart for you? You want to know the greatest I have for you, it's that you would be transformed to be a person of love, that you would love God with all that you are, and that you would love other people as much as you stink and love yourself. That's how you sum it up. Now, we're not going to stop there, I told you. (laughs) Uh, We're going to walk through this. But there's some fundamental questions that come out, and here they are. How are we going to relate to other believers? In light of God's mercy, how do we relate to other Christians? How do we relate to non-Christians? People who don't believe, people who aren't a part of our church. What about your enemies? People who are antagonistic toward you or persecute you or don't like you too much or gossip about you in the work group. Ugh. How are we to relate to the government? Authorities. And then how are we to handle relational disagreements and disputes? I mean, all of these, you've got to be asking these questions on a daily basis, right? I mean, I ask these questions, you know, when, when the reality is all of our, we did a series this past summer, some of y'all were here, called Relate, and if you, if you weren't here, you could go back and listen to those online, but the reality is all of us have relationships. Our life is so intertwined with relationships, and the question comes, okay, in light of God's mercy, is he, you know, God's salvation is not just something for us to believe, it's something for us to live in. So in light of all that God has done for us, what do what all these relationships look like? And the answer is, okay, now, by the end of today, I'm hoping that this will be a, a stronger, more resounding answer. The answer is what? Love. The answer is love. Now, he's going to get through some practicals here, and I've got to get going. But it's chapter 12, starting in verse 3. The first thing that we're going to be looking at is our relationships with other believers. Our relationships with other believers. And I'm going to be teaching kind of quickly uh, this morning because of the amount of text that we've got to get through. But this is all so practical, so essential for our daily life. 
that I pray that you're excited to, to look at it. Let's start in verse 3. We're going to read through the end of chapter 12. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually we're members of another, one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, says the Lord. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil <coughs> with good. So a couple of things I want to point out to you. They're going to, the summary of them will be on the screen. I just want to talk through you very briefly what's going on here. The practicals of this, the first thing he's saying is your relationships with other Christians in light of the mercy of Christ, they're going to be so transformed. You should seek transformation with your relationships with other Christians from the inside out. How are we going to do this? The first thing we've got to realize is you've got to think soberly about yourself. I'm not talking about you don't need to be drunk, although you don't need to be drunk, but he's saying think of yourself in a right kind of way. Have a right perspective uh, on everything that you do. Uh, one of the greatest temptations uh, is to think that you are above other people. One of my greatest temptations. How about I personalize it? Um, the heart of our rebellion against God is wrong thinking. And one of the things that we are so prone to do is to think that we are better than other people, to put ourselves in a position higher than other people, or to think that we're superior. Pride. Everybody struggles with pride. It takes the form of self-exaltation or it could take the form of self-pity. Both of them are an overabundance of self-centeredness. And the reality is it's just wrong thinking. 
So the first instruction that Paul gives here in verse 3, he says, listen, I, I am giving a command to you by all of my apostolic authority. I am telling you that no one, look at verse 3, no one among you ought to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. In other words, get a right view of yourself, folks. <laughs> now, there's two reasons for this. The first is according to the gospel. There's no room for pride in us because in verse 3 there it says, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to you. He's not talking about the amount of faith that you have. He's talking about the kind of faith that you have. What he's saying is the kind of faith that saved you ought to be the kind of faith that keeps you going in the Christian life. Listen, how were any of us saved? We were saved not by saying, well, God, I've got a lot to offer. I'm a really cool guy. I'm a really cool girl. Look at me. Take me. When I, when I get to heaven, I'll make it a pretty place. I'm really going to be an, an all-star for your team, God. No. How were you saved? You were saved by acknowledging that you were a sinner, that you were in a mess of a situation, that you were in a pit that you couldn't get yourself out of, that you needed rescue. Is that right? God doesn't save anybody any other way other than you acknowledging what he already knows, and that is that you are desperate without a savior, a rescuer. And he came in and rescued you at the point of humility and crying out for help. He's saying continue in that faith. Don't you know the kind of faith that you live in, the kind of faith of your father Abraham who had nothing except dependence upon the Lord? You keep living in that kind of faith. Don't think that you're better than anybody else. There's no room for pride in the heart of a believer. We, above all people, should live in humility, shouldn't we? Because we know that all of our life is owing to the Lord. So we're not better than anybody. We might be saved, but we know it's by God's grace, not by our own merit. And therefore, we keep living in humility and dependence upon the Lord. We keep living in that spirit of saying, Oh, God, thank you. I am nothing, but you are everything. I am it. You are everything. Does that make sense? So think of yourself. He's telling you every day, wake up and think of yourself in light of the gospel. That you'll, you'll consider yourself rightly. The second thing he says is, think about this. Another way to think, to think soberly about yourself, to not have pride, is what? To realize that you are just one part of a bigger body. Okay? Look there at verse uh, five, four. He says, for us, in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Though we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. Now, since Genesis 12, when God came to Abraham, you might look at that story and you could think, oh, what an awesome story about God relating to an individual, a man, by his faith. And it's true. This is a story by God relating to one man. But what was God's desire through that one man was to what? Have a nation, to have a family, to have a people. God has always cared for the individual, but he's also always had in mind his greater body of people recognizing that each individual is part of his greater body, and he's wanted to use his greater body to be distinct in the world for his glory. Does that make sense? Okay, everybody look at your body. Look at your fingers. Look at your toes. You can look at the person next to you if they're prettier than you are. Now, the reality is you look at the body. There are so many different parts there. And how glad are we that there are? I'm so glad that my nose is not like my mouth or not like my eyes or not like my ears. They're all very different and they all have an important function in our body. We can appreciate that, right? God is saying, listen, don't you realize that God does care about you? You're an important part of the body, but you're just one part. It would be stupid if your whole body was a nose or whole body an ear, whole body a foot. Appreciate the fact that you're an important part of God's body, but you're just one part and the other body parts are just as important and just as needed. 
He's saying, think about yourself in relation to the whole body. It will give you a right view of yourself. It will give you love and appreciation for other Christians. Because you now, there's a dose of humility in you when you think like this. And there's also a dose of interdependence. Because guess what? You can't live your Christian life without other parts of the body. Just as your nose couldn't survive without your heart or your kidneys, you can't survive without other Christians. You are interdependent on other parts of God's body. In other words, other Christians. So appreciate them. Care for them. Depend upon them. There's a mutuality that goes on because we're all a part of the family. Uh, Just as much as we give ourselves fully to God, we need to give ourselves fully to one another. And that's what happens here in verses 6 through 8. He's not listing all the spiritual gifts. What he's doing is he's calling out several things, and what he's saying is there is an interdependence and responsibility that we have to other Christians. You might be given the gift of helps, service. Others might be given the gift of teaching. Others might be given the gift of what? Faith or prophecy. You need other Christians because you alone don't have all the gifts. So live in humility with other Christians and live interdependently with other Christians and the gifts that God has given you seek to contribute those to other Christians. What he's saying is you have a responsibility to love other Christian people. Because you have something that they need and they have something that you need. Live together and function together like your own members of your own physical body. Does that make sense? Okay. The outcome of this is on the screen. I've put live in humility and interdependence and building up of other believers. We're going to keep going through verse 9. Now the thought continues of how we relate to other believers. But he also begins talking about not just other believers but also non-believers. And even our enemies. Here, uh, you can go on to, you can pass the scripture here. There it is. The overall instruction here is to humbly serve and sacrifice to others. To humbly serve and sacrifice to others. That's verses 9 through 21 that we just read. Now, there are over 20 brief instructions here. And I encourage you this week to go back and take one instruction a day, or you'd have to take four a day to get, to get it done in a week, but to meditate on these little brief instructions and to really meditate on what they mean and how evaluate your life and your heart in light of these instructions. I don't have time to go through all of them today. I do want to hit a couple But if you had to sum up all these little instructions, it would be this. Live in humility. Live in service and in sacrifice toward others. You've got to put away your natural tendency toward self-centeredness. I know myself well enough to know that I take good care of myself. Anybody with me? You take good care of yourself. We are so prone to take such good care of myself. I mean, I went through that Thanksgiving line on Thursday, and I made sure that my plate was full of things that I wanted to eat. 
And then you get down with a line and you start thinking, well, gosh, I didn't even look at somebody else's plate to see if they had what they wanted to eat. Now, some of you good-hearted people, you might have actually done that and waited till the end. But the reality is we can be so prone to thinking about ourselves and caring for ourselves that all of our life gets wrapped up in me and other people come second place. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying, listen, folks, that's the old way of living. That's not the new way of living. Your flesh does scream out that you should take care of yourself, me, myself, and I first place always, and then everybody else. But the reality is God has transformed your heart. You no longer have to seek to be served. You don't have to any longer seek for all the attention, all the affection, or all the everything that you want because God has already taken care of you. Because of what God has done for you in Jesus, you are served. You are fully served. All of your needs are met. He has so satisfied you. He has poured his love out to you. He has given you his affection and his honor, a place in his family and at his table. He is everything to you. He has served you by sacrificing himself. He gave everything for you that you might have everything. Don't you realize that you don't need anything from anybody anymore? Because all you have, all you need is in Christ. How wonderful is that? Now, friends, you're free. You're free. You don't need to be served. You have been served. Now your life looks like giving yourself in sacrificial, humble service toward others. You can, look, you can take care of their needs because your needs are already taken care of. Isn't that wonderful? Now your life is not to be oriented around you because God has taken care of you. Your life now is to be poured out in love for others. Are you you tracking with that thought? That's why he gives all of these commands here. And listen, all of these, all of these are to be wholehearted. That's why he starts verse 9 here. Let love be genuine. He's saying your whole life now looks like love toward everybody else around you, taking care of their needs as you would your own. But this is not a fake love. This is a genuine love. It's from your heart. That's why one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, according to Galatians 5, the first one listed is what? Love. You can't manufacture love. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. It grows organically as a work of the Spirit living inside of you. In other words, the only way to have this kind of love is to live in relationship with God who is this kind of love. And when He loves you, you allow him to love you. When you are filled with his love, the natural overflow of that, the fruit that that will bear in your life is love toward other people. Does that make sense? It should be wholehearted, but it should also be practical. Okay? Now, I'm telling you you this because this is why he gives over 20 practical commands. It's easy for me and for you to say, well, I'm a loving person. We all think of ourselves as loving people. I guarantee if I took a survey in this room, 95% of everybody here would say, I'm a loving person. Because you don't want to be not a loving person, right? But you've got to remember that if you truly have a heart of love, it will evidence itself in a million practical ways in your life. You can't separate your practical living, how you handle your coworkers and your enemies and your friends and the poor here in this community. You can't separate your actions from your heart. Your actions show you your heart. Now, sometimes we don't like to hear that. 
But that's why all these commands are given. Let's look at a couple of them. Like verse 8. Uh, Let the one who does acts of mercy do it with, with cheerfulness. Well, in other words, he's saying you've got to so love people that when you help them, you do it with cheer. Now, I was up here doing Christmas decorations yesterday. And by the end of it, Robbie caught me, I was kind of getting a little bit grouchy. I was kind of crabby. Anybody ever get crabby? <laughs> I came up here to help. Candace, you never get crabby. That's amazing. <laughs> I know you're kidding. Sarcastic, shaking her head. Uh, sometimes we get crabby. You start by wanting to help, but by the end of it, you're just ready to go. You're so consumed with your own thoughts that the person that you're trying to help feels now guilty because you've helped them. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This is a heart problem. It says, if you're going to help people, do it with love, with cheerfulness. And that means all the way to the end. <laughs> you know? I can need a new heart, God, because I sure felt crabby yesterday. Verse 9, let love be genuine. We've talked about that. You can't fake love. You can't fake love. You can't just show up at church and sit around people and not really care about them. Love them from your heart. Do you love other people? Do you, when you ask somebody, this is, always gets me, how are you doing? Do you really want to know? Because usually if, if I start answering you with what I really, how I'm really doing, in about 30 seconds you're regretting that you asked me how I'm doing. <laughs> but do you love and care about people enough that when you ask somebody how are you doing, that you really mean that and that you really love them enough to hear that? And not just to hear it. I mean, I've just told you about three families this morning. It's not just enough to hear it, but are you willing to go and do what's needed to meet those needs? Because that's love. God didn't just know of our need and hear our cries. He came down himself, and he gave himself to meet our needs, didn't he? Let love be genuine. Verse 11. Never be lacking. Do not be slothful in zeal. In other words, in all that you do, be passionate. Be excited. Be eager. A lot of times we think those eager folks, that's just new Christians. You know, they just, they just got saved. <laughs> They're so excited about Jesus. You know, it'll wear off in a few months. <laughs> Here, Paul's saying that should be for all of us. Let love be genuine and then let, don't be slothful in zeal. In everything you do, do it with a smile on your face. Do it like you're a new Christian because every day his mercies are new. His faithfulness never comes to an end. Amen? Do it with a smile on your face. Do it with eagerness. See, this is practical. Verse 13. Bless those who persecute, oh, excuse me, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is extremely practical. Because in our world today, all of, all of our culture shouts at us is what? Individualism. Your home is for you and your little family, and you better protect it. Don't let other people in. This is my space. What I have is for me and my family. We go in, and we shut the garage, and we cocoon ourselves. And I'm all for rest, and I'm a, more of, a, of an introvert than you would like to think maybe, maybe you know me, but I, I like quiet time and rest. It's not to say you can't rest and you can't cocoon sometimes, but what he's saying is realize that what you have is meant for the good of others. Show hospitality. That means that you need to open the doors of your home to people who need you to invite them in. Neighbors who need a friend, people who need a meal. 
I'm not talking about the one token party a year that everybody that you like goes to. He's saying, be hospitable. In other words, contribute. When you hear about a believer who has trouble, help them out. When you have something, offer it to others. Be hospitable. Our home should be bustling. I mean, I'm not saying you've got to do something every night of the week. I'm saying be intentional. This is what love is, intentional with using what you have to show the love of Christ to people who need it. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Oh, gosh. I'm not sure about you, but last time somebody tried to hurt me, speak against me, I didn't really want to bless them. I want to attack them and kill them with a knife. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Everybody, everybody looked at me like, oh, he's got a dark side. But, you know, this doesn't come naturally. You want to spit back at them. You want to hit them in return. He's saying, let the outflow of your heart be so concerned about them. Listen, Jesus was attacked. He was reviled. He was persecuted. He was killed, but he still didn't repay it. He went to the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They know that what they do. He had in mind the needs of those who were attacking him, their real heart condition, the, the needs that he was meeting on the cross for all of us who would believe. Always in mind the greater good, not his own good. And he's saying, out of a heart of love, bless those who persecute you. Weep with those who weep. Verse 15. Weep with those who weep. In other words, don't hear somebody's sad story and just look at it and go, oh, well, that's, I'm, I'm so sorry. I hope you have a good week. You don't love them when you do that. When somebody's life is falling apart and they're sitting with you crying, cry with them. Be broken with them. Share their burdens. This is the mark of love. Verse 16, associate with the lowly. Gosh, most of us, we want to be around people that make us feel cool, right? We, we eye those people at work or in our classes that are, that are smarter than us, that are better than us, that if we're around them, it makes us feel better about ourselves. But where did Jesus spend his time? In the Frasers, and the Binghamptons, and the Orange Mound? In the places where nobody cared, where nobody was giving time? He associated with people who were poor and lowly. Jesus says, go, and you do the same. Be with people who otherwise wouldn't have anybody else to be with. Give to people this Christmas who otherwise wouldn't have anybody else to give to them. Associate with them. Don't just give to them and then run away back to your little cocoon. But associate with them, hang out with them, get to know them, become friends with them. I can't spend a lot more time. Repay no one evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves. Leave that up to God. Revenge is never something that Christians should be playing around with. Vengeance is the Lord's. Somebody wrongs you, pray for them, leave it to God. I preached a sermon two years ago on that, on forgiveness and letting go. I'll refer you to that. Verse 20, if an enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give you something to drink. In other words, don't just be tolerant of people who are bullies, people in your, in your work who are, stink to be around. You know, I could be tolerant. Anybody could be tolerant of them. Bite your tongue. It's not going to say anything in response. No, go out of your way to bless them. Send them your family Christmas card. <laughs> oh, man, that's going to kill them, isn't it? Kill them with kindness, my mama always said. See, she wanted the knife too, but she just... Instead of a knife, she had kindness. She said, kill them with kindness. 
But that's what kind of, you know, reap burning coals on their head. In other words, do good when they don't expect it. It's going to frustrate the living daylights out of them. But gosh, didn't God do good for us while we were yet enemies? What was he doing? He died for us. People who hurt you, go out of your way to bless them. So we already start seeing here love. The overflow of the new heart of the mercy of Christ is love. Love for other believers. Love for those who aren't believers. Love even for our enemies. Secondly, we look at this. It also changes our relationship with the state. Now, good for you today. I am not going to spend hardly any time on this chapter. Why? Because three months ago, I just preached an hour-long sermon on this particular chapter of how to relate to our government and authorities. And I believe that most of you in our church were here for that, and I refer you back to that. Um, in other, the, the, the summary, though, of this section, let me, let me just read it, uh, and then I'll give you the summary here. Ch- chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God and those that exist who have been instituted by God. <coughs> Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. They're not a terror to good conduct, but what? To bad. Would you have no fear then of the one who's in authority? Well, then do what's good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. I'm sorry, that wasn't in there. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Other words, God has set up government to be the governing authorities in this world. And it's a good thing. And there's a lot of things you could get into about that, and I refer you back to the previous message. But government is a good thing. It's an agent for your good. And you should respect the government. You should obey the laws. You should submit to the authorities that God has put in your life, especially Robbie. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Thanks for clarifying, Robbie just said. All the authorities that God has put in our life, our bosses, our local authorities, our national authorities, we need to respect them. Now, disagree we may, but we need to respect them and realize that they have been put there by God. Now he continues in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. There it is. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. For love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love, here it is, love, here it is. What is it? It's getting better. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to awaken from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. 
The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So, the, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. A few things I want to point out to you. I think they'll be on the screen from specifically this section, second section. The first thing I want to point out is this. In verse 8, it says that we should owe no one anything except this. What? To love each other. We should pay all of our debts, but there's one debt that you're never going to be able to repay. There's one debt that's going to be a lifelong obligation to you. There's one debt that you will never fully be able to give. And that is this, that you love one another. Therefore, he's saying, this is a summary of everything he just said in in chapter 12, we should love one another and owe one another this love in wholehearted devotion. We don't like this because of our inherent selfishness and our desire to suit ourselves, but it's saying, always be loving others. You have an obligation. In light of all that God has done for you and how well he has loved you, how he gave his own life for you, oh, how God loves you, and you know he does. And I believe you so love his love. You would be lost without it. In light of his love, oh, could you ever repay it? No, but you owe others. Love, love, love. Love, love, love. Always be giving your love. You can never love enough. Amen? He's saying, he goes on and he says, love is the fulfillment of the law. You ask, how does this so? You know, isn't the law important? Yes, it's important. You should respect it. It's wonderful. It helps us know God's will and desire. But here's what he's saying. You wouldn't need the Ten Commandments if you did two things, loved God and loved others as you love yourself. You can sum up all of the commandments and all that flow out of the commandments by two things, loving God and loving others. If you loved in your heart the way God has created you and designed for you to love him, how he's allowed for you to love him and be transformed, you can have a restored heart of love. Did you know that? You might say, well, I'm just too far gone. I'm just too selfish. I'm a broken person. I know that. Listen, but God can restore your heart of love. That's the work of the Spirit in our salvation. It's called sanctification. He restores that which has been lost. So you should ever be growing in this love. And if you love God and love others, you will find that your whole life will look like a fulfillment of the law. Everything the law requires, you will find yourself doing naturally from your heart. Not because it's on a rule book, but because this is what your heart desires. Isn't that wonderful? There's great freedom when you learn that you can live by the Spirit. You can live by the Word of God. And you can just live your life, a life of love. And by living love toward God and love toward others, you will be fulfilling the law. Isn't that great? If you just live a spirit-filled life, you don't have to worry about the rules. You will be living by the rules because you're living by the Spirit, who is a spirit of love. Amen? It's wonderful. And then in verses 11 14, he says, live in light of the coming day. He's been talking about the past so much. He's been saying, okay, everybody look back to the cross. Look back to the cross. Look back to the cross. In light of the cross, all of your life should be different. And now there's a new tune. He's saying, not only look back, but look forward. He's saying, you should look forward too. Because there's a day that Jesus is coming back. And you don't know when it is. 
But he's coming. And it's sooner today than it was yesterday. Right? Sooner today than it was yesterday. So it's time to get serious about love. <laughs> to be serious about the will of God. Live in light of what the Lord has done for you. Be serious about it because he is coming back. And you will be with him and stand before him. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Wrap yourself in his transformation and his presence. Live abiding in him, John chapter 15. And you will find yourself fulfilling the law and not gratifying your own fleshly desires. Everybody got it. Now he sums it up in chapter 14. And this is it. We talked about relationships with other believers. We talked about relationships with non-believers and our enemies. We talked about our relationship with our authorities and the government. Now there's one question that's going to remain, and it's this. How do you handle those darn relational disagreements? Anybody ever had a disagreement? with another Christian. Well, the dictating... Is any, has anybody ever had a disagreement? <laughs> okay. Uh, the dictating factor in all of this is, is going to be what? <laughs> Love. You guys are catching on. Very good. Um, as a little bit of background before we read our text and I sum it up briefly, there, there were some disputes among Roman Christians related to diets and related to special days. Now, we might not understand this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it relevant to you here in a second. They, so there were some people that came from the old Jewish system, and they had been told by God to respect certain holidays in the year. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And when they became Christians, the question was, well, do we keep following those old Jewish holidays along with our new Christianity, or can we let go of them because the gospel is here? Jesus has made us new, and there's a new way. Same thing related to diets. There were all these restrictions about what they could eat. Some of you guys are on these crazy diets right now. Which, Eric, are you on a diet for your run? No, no diet. Jorge probably is. Okay, you guys are in great shape for Saturday. Nobody's on diet. Um, carbo load, carbo load. These crazy diets, though, and they were instructed by God to stay away from certain things for their good and so that they would be a distinct people and stay away and to eat these things. All these rules and regulations. And the question was, do we keep going with these in light of Jesus or do we let them go? There were a lot of disagreements about that. And a lot of quarrels about that. And it created a lot of tension about that. Uh, today, our disagreements could look like this. About a step on the toes. Christians and alcohol. Okay? I'm not about to preach a sermon on Christians and alcohol. But just saying that right then, several of you bristled up. <laughs> Some of your backs got straighter and you, you, you look like you got into ta- attack mode. Now... The reason is because some of you are, you feel a great deal of freedom to drink alcohol and be a Christian. Some of you feel a great deal of passion that no Christian should drink alcohol. Okay, and I just got nods from both groups. (laughs) Now, it could be a fight this morning, but we're not going to have a fight because we're going to be dictated by love. Now, I'm trying to say that because just that one issue, this is the weight of that issue among the Roman uh, Christians. It was that kind of dissension. And, and that's why Paul writes here in verse chapter 14. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to summarize it, and then we're going to go. He says this, related to these kinds of disagreements. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. 
for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died, and he lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to me, or to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let me just stop right there. Let me sum it up. What he's saying is, when you have these disagreements, now they're not disagreements in doctrine, they're disagreements in practice. They're not essential to the gospel, they're just areas where there's no clear command in Scripture, one way or another, and we wonder, okay, which way does it go? That's the kind of disagreements we're talking about among Christian people, right? And they happen. Thankfully, they don't happen very much in this church, or if they do, maybe I'm not aware of it, or y'all are just so loving that they don't rise to the surface. But in these disagreements, what he says is the first principle that should dictate your life is this. You should receive one another. That's how I'd sum up verses 1 to 12. Receive one another. Receive one another. The word here, accept one another or welcome one another, in verse 1 of chapter 14, is in accept in Greek. It means to welcome one into your fellowship and into your heart. In other words, Paul doesn't want any particular person to be ostracized, isolated, persecuted within the church, made to feel less than because of their particular issue on one of these matters of disagreement. He doesn't want to be anyone to be hindered in growth in their faith by other people's reservations or by other people's scruples. Passing judgment only marginalizes the accused. It just does on these issues. Now, again, I need to stress, he's not saying be tolerant to everybody and everything. Everybody just gets to pick what they want to believe, and you better not say anybody to anything because we just all need to receive each other and just go along with whatever they believe. No, I have a backbone, and there are some things, many things, that are very clear in Scripture and the expressed will of God and very gospel-oriented that are doctrinally based, and we stand on those things. We don't just bend over backwards on everything. Does that make sense? But rather, on these issues, like I've talked about, that there is gray, we don't let our differences of opinion hinder our fellowship. Now, there's a couple of reasons why he says this. I'm just going to list them off. Verses 2 to 3. Why is it that we welcome one another? It says, because God has welcomed us. If God receives both the weak and the strong, people who do this and don't do this, people who believe this about alcohol and people who don't believe this about alcohol, I'm just going to keep using this example. If God has welcomed both people, then you should welcome them too. Secondly, he says, God sustains his own. Now, the alcohol thing, for instance, 
Nobody's saying that drunkenness is not a sin. Being drunk with wine is a sin. It's debauchery, it says in Scripture. The issue we're talking about here is whether or not you can have a sip or a glass without being drunk. That's what we're talking about. And this, there's people on both sides. He says God receives both of those people, and you should too. Second thing is that God sustains his own people. Verse 4. It's before the, his own master that he stands or falls. And if he's upheld, he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, you don't have to play God in anybody else's life. Yippee, yippee, yippee. Every, God can take care of everybody that's his. Isn't that great news? So you can let the issue go and let God deal with them and sustain them until the end. Verses 5 through 9, he says, the other reason is that Jesus is Lord. He says, in other words, people who do what they do, they do it because they have a heart for the Lord. They're not doing it deliberately against the Lord. That would be sin. Let everybody live for the Lord. And if you live for the Lord in this category or in that category, whichever way you fall, let them live for the Lord. Let Jesus be the Lord. And let him have the final say in the last because verses 10 through 12, he says, in other words, at the end, Jesus will judge. For all, verse 10, will stand before the judgment seat of God. Verse 12, so each of us will give an account of himself to God. Isn't it good that you don't have to be the ultimate judge in the courtroom? <laughs> Let God be the judge. Let God be the judge. Let, you know, you can state your opinion, your interpretation, your passion. But at the end of the day, let God have the judgment seat. It's his, and everybody in the end is going to give an account of him. So receive one another. Then we're going to read verses 13 through the end and be done. Therefore, let us not pass judgment one on another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything indeed is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink or wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I'm going to keep going to 15, just a few verses. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who you reproach, you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. 
Therefore, welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We just said, receive one another. But the second part of this is encourage and please one another. It's not just enough to let everybody have their opinion and just rest on it. But there's additional encouragement that happens when you love somebody. When you love them, you're going to seek to encourage them and to do what's best for them, not just what's best for you. What he says here is that you've got to realize that as a Christian, you affect other Christians and you affect non-believers. And the way that you live your life influences other people. Now he says that there may be times that you have to limit your freedoms. In other words, you might have to limit, put aside what you feel like is okay for you to do for the sake of somebody else who doesn't quite understand that it's not okay for them to do the same thing. If anything that you do in your life begins to hinder somebody else's growth in Christ or discipleship in Christ, you need to consider letting that thing go. Because our life is not here and now. We live in light of the kingdom. And the kingdom is not about what you eat or what you drink. The kingdom is about peace and righteousness and faith. Would you agree? That's what Paul's saying. So there are times that you've got to make sure that you are not putting anything in your brother's way. That you are not causing anybody else to stumble. That you are putting the kingdom first. That you're seeking to build up. And if if anything that you do tears somebody else down, give that up. You don't live for that anyway. The kingdom of God is more important than any single decision or habit that you have. Even if you feel free in that habit. Does that make sense? Seek the kingdom of God. And don't force your freedoms on other people. He says, let everybody live by faith. Whatever does not come from faith is sin. So you make your decision and let other people make their decision, but live by faith. If it doesn't come by faith, then it's just it's phony. So live by faith is what he's saying. And then in the start of 15 here, he's saying, please one another. Follow Christ's example. If he'd wanted to please himself, would he have gone to the cross? No. But he was thinking about you. He was acting on your behalf. So live in this way with other Christians. Live in your disagreements. Some of y'all are going to have them this week. Not to please yourself, but live to please others. Bear with the weak. Please others, not yourself. Follow Christ's example and depend upon prayer. That's why he offers the blessing there in verses 5 and 6. Because ultimately, none of this, none of this is possible without God doing it in you. Amen? Now, we just swallowed a mouthful, didn't we? (laughs) But don't lose the forest for the trees. What God is saying to you and to me is this. Your life, your heart, your mind, and your life should be marked by love. When you're pressed, what should ooze out of you is love. In all of your relationships, love should govern your heart, your thoughts, and your actions. It is love, Jesus said, that the world would know that we are his disciples. How do you have this kind of love? 
It's not a self-will program, although it's very practical. You've got to let God change you. 